Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to the latest edition of the Football Writers Podcast, featuring me, Mike Calvin, Richard Amofa of The Athletic, and Adi Oladipo, the journalist and broadcaster. You don't have to be some sort of performance guru to understand that character and consistency creates champions. Liverpool's defence of the Premier League title has been complicated, but their core values are sustaining them under pressure. They've got depth from the academy, and resilience in adversity from established stars. That late win over Spurs felt really significant, didn't it, Addy? It, it did. It felt like one of the first big games of the season, first versus second, only separated by goal difference. And I think a, a lot of people were thinking this was Tottenham's best chance of ending this massive Liverpool unbeaten run at Anfield. And you can understand why. I think we've seen a different version of Kane, Son, who scored yesterday is arguably the player of the season. Hoiberg has done so well as well. And I think the way Mourinho has given them confidence. So this was this was a, a very strong Mourinho S team coming to Anfield. And with Liverpool's injuries, and that we have to mention those, Reese Williams at the back coming in for Matip, Fabinho, who's done so well at the back, but let's be honest, he's a centre midfielder. You felt like this was an opportunity to really for Tottenham to really lay down a marker and say we are title challengers. And I think the way Liverpool played, in particular, I want to shout out a couple of names, in particular that engine, that midfield engine that Klopp always used to talk about, Henderson, Wijnaldum and young Curtis Jones. I think Liverpool showed that, yes, there's squad depth and, and that's very important and we've seen that with Chelsea, but I think more more than anything, it's a mentality. And he, he's got and built a winner's mentality with that team now. Whoever comes in seems to be unafraid, whether they are an experienced player that maybe hasn't had a few minutes like a Minamino or a young player that's just... Like, Reese Williams was playing non-league football last season. He's coming in and he's playing alongside Fabinho for the top-of-the-table team. It's it's incredible what he's created there. And he, he always uses the phrase mentality monsters. And he's created that Anfield right now. And I think Liverpool laid down a marker because if you... If you can't beat this Liverpool team without the injuries they've got, if Liverpool are top of the table with the injuries they've got, you only have to second-guess when players start coming back. Will Liverpool start to open up a gap like they did last season? I don't think it will be like last season. But if I'm a Chelsea or a United or a City or, or a Tottenham, I am concerned that this Liverpool team have been able to, to get to the top of the table with what has been a weakened Liverpool side. And players that I don't think are playing at their best. Mane's not scored in eight now. Salah's scoring, but it's not the same free-flowing Salah. And we know Firmino struggled with goals. So I think once it can start to click for Liverpool, I think the Premier League should be afraid. Yeah, I think when you look at it, Richard, one of the facets of success is, is obviously momentum, but also this culture. And the culture starts 
at a very young age in terms of it's you know, developed, a style is developed at the academy. The whole thing feeds off itself, doesn't it? So you've got Curtis Jones, you know, basically now a regular in midfield. You've got, as Addy was saying there, Reese Williams coming in for his debut. The kids at Liverpool think that, you know, there are no boundaries for them. Yeah, I think the the biggest compliment that you can give to Curtis Jones is that he looks as though he's played 50-plus games for Liverpool already. He's really slotted in well. I mean, we know just by looking at him, he, he plays with a very high technical level. And he, as, as Adi mentioned, he, he's playing in, in a position that Klopp really demands a lot from his players there. And the fact he's kind of slotted in seamlessly really shows his tactical ability as well. And I've got a few stats from Curtis Jones from last night. 106 passes completed, nine ball recoveries, four aerial duels, one out of five, four interceptions, three shots, two chances created. Now, for a 19-year-old, that, that they are phenomenal numbers in a game of such magnitude. Now, you know, if that's you know, Thiago doing that, you know, we're saying that that's fantastic. That's world-class, world-class numbers. This is a 19-year-old player who's only played a handful of games at the top level. And as you mentioned, that mentality monster, for him to come in and show that, that temperament showed that desire to kind you know keep clean sheets and also to create for the team it is it's brilliant and you know you mentioned the, the academy there Reese Williams again great performance from him Neko Williams has come in at right back he's done very well and you know you've got even the Kelleher the goalkeeper who's probably leapfrogged Adrian as Liverpool's number two and has also done very well when he's come in so you know it's it's fantastic culture there the fact that these young players are coming in and slotting in seamlessly as though um, I mean obviously the, the players that Liverpool are missing are big misses but the fact that they are doing so well is testament to the culture there at the club yeah I suppose you know, we'll talk about Manchester City later but obviously eight points behind Liverpool now which one would suggest is probably too big a gap for them to bridge but that belief in youth or or more pertinently trust in youth is another contrast to City isn't it Yeah, and I think you're right. It's trust in youth. I think with youth, it's it's almost like you do roll the dice and you hope they are going to kind of uh, live up to expectations. These are the guys that have ticked all the boxes in the under-23s and they've gone out on loan and ticked the boxes as well. And you do hope they are going to make that next step. And some don't make that next step and and some do. He does have a trust in it. I think Richard mentioned there playing Cueven Kelleher instead of Adrian. That's, That's a really big statement that is... Adrian, yes, he's made his mistakes, but he's a very, very experienced goalkeeper. But he's almost trusted in a young goalkeeper with hardly any experience to come in and play in those big games. And they were big games, games in Europe and games in the Premier League. This isn't the Carabao Cup. This isn't an early round in the FA Cup. These are very important games and he's trusted in youth. He done exactly the same thing many, many years ago when he trusted in Trent Alexander-Arnold over over Nathaniel Klein. Again, Nathaniel Klein at the time, England international, but he trusted Trent Alexander-Arnold. He makes these judgments and he's not afraid to make these judgments. And I always say, I think it's difficult. Some people say it's easier to come into a winning team. I think it's more it's more difficult to come into a winning team. I think if you're coming into a losing team, no one can begrudge you if you don't play that well. If you come into a winning team, you do get found out, I think. And what they've done so far, Nico Williams, who was under pressure when he came in, Curtis Jones, Richard mentioned there, it almost looks like he's played 100 games for Liverpool. He's so confident. It's trusting in them and then hoping they deliver. And so far, I don't want to say Liverpool are lucky, but so far that these these young players, these inexperienced players have delivered and it's testament to what they're doing at the under-23s. 
Yeah, I suppose you know, with young players, it is a delicate process. You know, Neko Williams, for instance, got an awful lot of stick on social media from from his own fans, which I find just just you know, I just can't. I struggle to understand it. Why do you do that? In terms of the, the more experienced players, at Richard, they need to get Win Aldum's contract sorted ASAP, don't they? But also, can I just dwell on Fabinho as a player? You know, we talk about versatility. But he's been immaculate at the back, hasn't he? Yeah, he's he's been phenomenal. I think, of course, with Van Dijk out, questions being asked of of everybody, and I think Firmino, his performances probably put him up there as one of the players of the season. Just the way that he reads the game, he anticipates that the ball's going over the top. He's great one v one, and obviously his distribution from the back is fantastic as well. So, to say you've got him, you've got Henderson in midfield who as well as his leadership qualities. Very, I say, underrated on the ball. The fact he just keeps the ball moving, keeps the ball, you know, tries to make, you know, progressive passes playing forward and then from side to side to their more dangerous attacking fullbacks. And of course, Ronaldo as well. It, it does seem a bit baffling that um, the contract situation isn't sorted. I know he's keen to wait till the end of the season to have the talks and he seems quite cool about it. But um, he, he's so important to the way they play in terms of the high pressing, in terms of the energy and, and, his, and, his, and his end product as well. But, um, you know, still having that core, that nucleus in the side with all the injuries there, you know, it just helps to maintain the standard on the pitch. You know, say so you've got a lot of young players there who, again, have done very well. But having those experienced core heads who've been there from, say, when I say from the starters and from the, you know, maybe two and a half seasons where Liverpool really started building that momentum and really built that winning mentality. And you can really see it seeping throughout the squad. As you say, having those kind of leaders, those, those kind of like, you know, lieutenants in the squad, it, it's so important and uh, it will be integral to Liverpool's title charge again. You know, what's, what's even more impressive with Fabinho is the fact that. We know centre-backs like to build centre-back pairings and partnerships. He's played with Nat Phillips, he's played with Reese Williams, he's played alongside Van Dijk, he's played alongside Matip. So he's not been able to build that relationship with a centre-back, but he still looks so commanding. And what I love about fans not being in the stadiums is that you can actually hear the instructions he's given to those players. Mm. Again, this is a midfielder that's dropped back into centre-back and he's already shouting at commands. And that's one thing that Liverpool have over, I think, a lot of teams. There's a lot of leaders on the pitch. We hear Jordan Henderson giving out orders all the time now. Fabinho does it at the back as well. English is not his first language, but he's still marshalling the defence. And I think he has to be applauded for that because he's not a natural centre-back. Yes, he is a defensive-minded midfielder. He's played right back for Brazil, but he's not a centre-back. But he's been able to come in, play alongside different centre-backs and still marshal them. I'm with you. I mean, a lot of people will maybe point to Diego Jota as being Liverpool's player of the season, but I'm going to give it to Fabinho just because he's trying something that is not natural to him and it's been a success so far. Without Van Dijk, I mean, everyone expected Liverpool to concede a hatload of goals and he's been able to really marshal that defence. I mean, mm. I would love to see him with Van Dijk permanently and that's no disrespect to a Gomez or Matip, but defensively, he just feels a lot more assured than them both. And again, he's more comfortable on the ball as well. Yeah. And what about Tottenham, Richard? Their 11 much unbeaten run ended in probably the most symbolic way possible. A late goal rewarded Liverpool's territorial dominance and probably greater creativity. I suppose inevitably in the current climate, that led to the recycling of the old Spurs anti-football comments or, you know, more, more directly. That struck me as being pretty simplistic, to be honest. Would you agree with that? Was it unfair? 
I think so. I mean, we all know football's, you know, game of fine margins, but, you know, we're probably the width of a post away or the bounce of a ball, if we're looking at Harry Kane's chance, away from the narrative being it's a Mourinho masterclass, it's a defensive masterclass. And when Son took his chance so well, everyone was was going along that line. One chance, one goal. Soaked up all the pressure. He remained resolute, even after going behind. And, and they scored pretty much straight away. So, as you say, it's those fine margins which have evaded Tottenham over the years. And it's something that they need to address probably uh, overall. But, um, yeah, I agree with you, Mike, there. They're kind of old tropes, I think, are, are a bit unfair, especially when you look at the XG of, of the game as well. I mean, Liverpool's XG was 1.29, Spurs was 1.65. And they did have a lot of good chances. So you mentioned Bergwijn twice and Harry Kane's had on, on another day if they go in. It's a fantastic away result for Liverpool. So, yeah, it's, it's 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 a bit unfair to say that it's just, you know, defensive, defensive Mourinho. So they were very unlucky not to win the game. Um, sorry, not to take their chances. Obviously, I think Liverpool were the better side, of course. But, um, yeah, I guess these things are always going to be rolled out when they don't go in, in, in their <laughs> favour. Yeah, yeah. Mourinho, of course, insisted that the best team lost. Surprise, surprise. You know, we love a bit of touchline drama, don't we? The two managers had a little... Um, well, it was... Uh, I would imagine insults were exchanged behind very, very broad smiles, I would suspect. Did Mourinho's reaction, Addy, tell you that he realised the significance of the result as well? Yeah, it did. Look, I think the build-up's been a bit feisty as well. Mourinho's obviously had that dig about Liverpool and their injury record and basically said Van Dijk's the only one that really is out injured. You know, he's the one that would make a difference. I think it had a lot going into it. And he has he has a right to be slightly upset with the result. Bergwijn, as you said, hit the post. Harry Kane had a couple of good chances. But overall, I, I was slightly disappointed. And, and not because we don't know the Mourinho way. We fully understand how he plays. But I think this was a time to almost lay down a marker and go toe-to-toe with Liverpool. I think there's enough in that Tottenham eleven to say, OK, let, let's go for it. Almost like what Liverpool Man City did in that first 30 minutes, which I thought was one of the best games of the season. Almost like, OK, put the shackles away. Let's see who's got this. And I think if I'm Kane, and especially if I'm Son, who I'm trying to... Son played almost like a sweeper at times. And I'm, I'm like, well, th- this is not how we do. Like, We're now a big team as well. We're top of the table. Let's go to Anfield and really have a go. So I, I was slightly disappointed. Obviously, he had words with, with Klopp after. And I think that's just disappointing about losing a last-minute goal the way he did, especially from a corner. When you consider that Liverpool don't have any height in the team right now, the last thing he wants to lose is the corner, which Dyer and Ardeviroud were, were sweeping up quite comfortably throughout the, the first 90 minutes. So he understands the significance of the game. He was on a nice unbeaten run. And it'll be interesting to see how Tottenham pick up pick themselves up from this. I think they will. I think they're a good team. And they, they could have won the game yesterday. But I think he'll know it was a chance missed. And it was a big chance. You beat Liverpool at Anfield, you're laying a marker down to anyone and anywhere. And I think they lost the opportunity. So that's why he's upset. Yeah, let's let's have a look at Southampton, if we could, please, Richard. They're third, probably a model for managerial faith and patience. They've obviously been rewarded for, for keeping Hassan Huttel. What defines him, do you think, as a manager and a coach? I think the fact that there are so many players at Southampton who have gone up so many levels under his tutelage is is a fantastic, it's a great testament to him. I think, you know, obviously very impressive with, with his pressing style, high octane, high energy, but you go through the sides, the likes of Vestergaard, Bednarek, you know, solid bases at the back who who've both 
both games have come on uh, leaps and bounds. You've got James Ward-Prowse and, and Oriol Romeo in midfield, who, again, you know, marshalled, marshalled the midfield very well. And, and obviously, we all know about James Ward-Prowse's delivery and, and that magic wand of a right foot. And you've got the, like, the, uh, the likes of Danny Ings, obviously, on, on fire. And even in his absence, which is probably the biggest kind of testament you can give to him, is that they... Of course, he missed his goals, but they didn't. I wouldn't say they missed him massively. Trey Adams stepped up. We're even seeing Walcott stepping up now, and you know, even in this almost in the twilight of his career, he's even saying that you know his game's coming on leaps and bounds. Also, so the fact that he's he's improving so many players, it just shows you know his his high level as a coach, and it'd be really intriguing now to see how far he can take Southampton. Yeah, it's certainly a, what I would call a training ground team and I think probably I'd look at the improvement of, of Trey Adams as testament to the quality of that coaching that, that's going on down at St Mary's and you look at they've got Manchester City at St Mary's on Saturday, do you think Addy, the, the sort of collective ethos makes them the sort of team that can emphasise City's decline? There's an opportunity City still to or a team where, you know, at any given time they can step up and put five or six past you. That's just the quality they have. Going back to Southampton, I just, I like what the club's doing. I think the club have obviously decided to go a different way and a different route. And you can see that by the appointments over the last few years. I mean, I think when they bring Pochettino in, they clearly went for a progressive coach. They they, they tried to stick with that with appointments like Kuman and Pellegrini and even to an extent uh, Claude Puyol, I thought, done quite well before his dismissal. And Harsen Tutors is almost just kept that going. So it's definitely a philosophy the club have in terms of how they want to play. We're probably going to touch on West Brom and that's a club that does something the completely opposite way. And Southampton is showing, you know, if you stick to your DNA and stick to what you want to do, there's an opportunity there. I think he's so improved some players that Yannick Vestergaard is the one that stands out for me. I mean, there were memes about Yannick Vestergaard last season no longer. He seems to have had the complete opposite effect of Samson. His hair's been cut and he's got all the strength and power. This is a guy that's now a ball-playing centre-back, and I wouldn't be surprised if their feeder club, Liverpool, don't look into that. He's really, really doing doing quite well. Uh, Carl Walker-Peters is fantastic. War Prowse in the midfield, that combination with Romeo. They have a lot of things they can cause City problems with, but City seem to just turn it on when they need to, and I wouldn't be surprised if City beat them. But the fact that we're even thinking that Southampton might do City shows how far they've come under Hasenhutl. And look, this is... What is it now? Nearly two years since that thrashing at Leicester, 9-0. So look, they've come a long, long way. And I think they'll be there or thereabouts for a European position. I don't know if they've got enough depth for a top four, but top six, because of teams sort of being a bit flaky now, Everton being one of those teams, although they've improved, top six could be a place for them. Yeah, well, I'm not so sure, you know. City have only won five of their 12 Premier League games. They look sluggish. There's a lack of goals, certainly. Richard, do you think there's a sense of a squad struggling to evolve here? So, well, the first look at City is, is that they, they miss, they're missing far too many chances. I mean, you look at a game against West Brom on Monday, for example, I mean, they could have easily swept them away for, for all of West Brom's kind of battling and, and hearts and, and things like that. But, you know, you look at those two chances at the end, for example, I mean, normally if they go in, you're looking at a City 3-1 win and, you know, we, we, we progress. And there's so many games now where... 
yes, I get it that, you know, Pep wants to focus on his defensive solidity and, and you know, we all know that they're fantastic on the ball, but it's just in that final third, I think it's just, it's just not, not the same dynamism as as, as we've seen before. Um, of course, you know, we all know that David Silva's a, a, a big miss, but you still expect other players to step up. I mean, I do like the look of a new signing Ferran Torres. You know, Mahrez has done okay, although slightly inconsistent. You know, even looking at Sterling, he's playing at a reasonably high level, but not, you know, he, he's, he's still got a few more, you know, a few, a few more percent to, to, to go in his game as well. Whether that's down to games, whether it's down to fatigue, you know, we, we, it's, it's difficult to tell. But there's definitely something that's not right there. And it's, it's just not the same free-flowing City that, that we're used to. Yeah, the, the fear factor from City is gone as well, completely. I mean, last season when, when, or even seasons in the past when it was David Silva and even Bernardo Silva, who's completely gone off the boil, it, it felt like a, a, a city that was always going to score every single opportunity. Obviously, Aguero has had his injuries, but he was firing. He's no longer there doing it. Jesus, I don't think, is going to be that guy. Um, I, I don't see Jesus being the striker that we maybe all thought he was when they bought him. He's not developed. And that goes against Pep for me. Pep should have developed Jesus to be what I expected him to be, which is a world-class striker. He's not that. So I think Pep has to take the blame for that. Pep doesn't seem to be able to develop players. He wants to get players that are the finished article, rather like Jose Mourinho. We, we, need, we, need, to see, we need to see some development from Pep. He's considered one of the best coaches in the world. And I, I, I'm starting to say, maybe we have to kind of remove that card from him because I don't see any development with the players. I mean, Mares is the same Mares at Leicester City, a very good player. Uh, Bernardo Silva, like I said, has got gone down. Gundogan is no longer the best Gundogan we were. And I just wonder what's going on with development. We don't see youth coming through. Phil Foden seems to be in almost, let him off the reins. What's the problem with Phil Foden? Let him go. He wants to play minutes and he seems to not trust him. I, I don't know what's going on at City, but the fear factor is completely gone. Uh, that's one thing I can say. Yeah. Well, we're going to take up your invitation to to dwell a little bit on the sacking of Slaven Bilic 24 hours after getting a point at Manchester City, which probably embarrassed his board. The timing certainly seemed pretty cynical and he certainly deserved more than 26 words as a farewell. Richard, was that management, the reality of management, laid bare? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a shame. It's, it's, as we all know, it's a very ruthless ruthless business and the timing on, on the outside of it anyway you know doesn't look great the optics aren't great especially after such a battling performance against City and I mean you, you look at West Brom on the face of it I mean you know they got a good result against Chelsea good res- you know they were unlucky against Spurs not to get a draw it was a late Harry Kane goal but you know if it may be from the board's perspective looking at the games against the teams around them, you know, the likes of, you know, your Burnley's, your Sheffield United's, who, 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 who they beat, but, you know, the Fulham's and stuff like that, they're not really beating those teams. And they're, they're the kind of games where, you know, West Brom need to get their points. And if you look at it, if you take a step back and actually look at their record, actually one win this season from 13, uh, they failed to win 17 of their last 26 games last season in the Championship. And they were very lucky to get promoted. It was more so Brentford's, um, you know, kind of mishaps to, towards the end of the season. So, we look at the overall record; it's it's not great, but then there's mitigating factors, of course. And if no offense to West Brom squad, but if you look at their actual players, I mean, there's not much Premier League experience there. A lot of kind of players who've come up from the Championship from other clubs and and almost you know, playing or having to learn very quickly. You know, I like the look of Gallagher, and you see he's already coming leaps and bounds under Billich, but. 
you know, we're talking about him being undermined by, by his board, by, you know, getting rid of you know, players like Higazi, who we're talking about Premier League experience. He's probably one of the only ones who, who does have that. So it, it, was, it had potential to become a bit messy, a bit unsavoury, which is a shame for him. But I think if we're looking at it as a results business, you know, unfortunately for him, they weren't good enough over the last well, 30 odd games or so across the two divisions and probably was the right decision in the end. You see Sam Allardyce coming in now. We know he's got a track record. <laughs> Typical managerial will go around for him. But, you know, if he keeps West Brom up, then the board will be justified in their decision. Yeah, it was hardly an original choice of uh, replacement, was it, Addy? <laughs> uh, you know, Allardyce's eighth Premier League appointment. You know, we had all usual, you know, the usual memes, Fireman Sam. Is his method almost as outdated as some of the, the Red Adair comparisons we still dredge up from time to time. Yeah, it is. He's, I feel like football has moved on so much since even his last appointment in 2018 with Everton. Football's just moved on. And I feel like his style of play, his, his methods are just not in tune with how football is now. Look, that doesn't mean he's not a good manager. We clearly see he was. I mean, he'd done a fantastic job at Crystal Palace to keep them in the league. And he was even doing half decent at Everton, especially when you consider the managers that have come after him at Everton. So it's not to say he's not a good manager, but what's the identity of West Brom? What are they trying to do? There is nothing there. I mean, you look at some of the managers they've had in the last few years, Tony Poulis, Alan Pardew. I think Darren Moore done okay. But Slavin Bilic was definitely coming in with a new kind of a new kind of idea, a new ethos to the club. And look, he's very unlucky because they weren't even supposed to get up from the championship last season. I think he almost should have some credit in the bank that they've not backed him in the summer. They didn't back him at all. What they've really done is turned loan deals into permanent deals. Ivanovic came in. I mean, he's not like he's been given 100 million to try and change the squad and revamp it. They've got players that seem to be stuck between the Premier League and the championship. And I just wonder what Sam Allardyce with his old, outdated methods are going to do with these players. I, I, I really do. Again, I don't want to dig out Sam Allardyce too much because I do think he's not the worst manager in the Premier League. But in terms of a team that wants to try and play good football, he doesn't fit that bill. The chairman clearly knows what he wants to do, which is keep the club in the Premier League and then sell it. And that's all they want to do. And I think that they're scared that Bilic is unable to do that. Maybe so. Look, they're 19th in the table, only one win all season. So it's difficult to disagree with them. But I think you've got to give Billich a chance. You've got to give him the January transfer window, give him some money, back him. The players are still playing for him. We saw that against City and let him have a go. I, I dare say it's going to be interesting ride of Sam and see what Sam can bring in in the transfer window. We'll see. Yeah. What do you reckon, Richard, about the whole culture of the let's avoid relegation specialist? You know, Tony Pulis isn't doing that well, is he? At Sheffield Wednesday, to be fair. Again, is this something which is almost last century stuff? Yeah, I mean, I do have to agree. You know, as he said, it's it's quite an outdated method. Obviously, tried and tested. Um, so you you know, you're looking at it from the board's perspective. You know, they want someone with a track record of, of that kind of success. But you know, at the end of the day, it's not you know something which you know a club like West Brom who are looking to you know as you say play good football and 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 you know be progressive in that respect. It just seems like they're going back to the kind of old tropes. You know, you listed some managers there already. Tony Pulis, Alan Pardew. It's like those kind of same old managers, which, as you say, clubs are moving away from now. And Tony Pulis, as you mentioned, rightly so, is not doing that well at Sheffield Wednesday. Of course, time will tell. I mean, all I can say is that Sam Allardyce has got a great track record in that respect. So 
if he can you know, do the impossible, it's fantastic for them. But you're looking at a club now, I guess clubs now want to kind of have that kind of long-term ethos and it's just very short-termist. And if, even if he does keep them up, you know, he's great big bonus structure there. You know, that money could have been invested in, in the playing squad and, and seeing progression there. So it's, it's a difficult one, but yeah, it, it doesn't kind of bode well when you're looking at kind of the ethos of the club and then moving forward. Those in power Arsenal, Addy, will say, yes, we've got a long-term plan. But they're six games without a win. It would really help if they kept 11 players on the pitch, wouldn't it? <laughs> what sort of... If, if you're a recruitment specialist and you're looking at Mikel Arteta, would you be expecting him to be looking for another employment opportunity sometime soon? Yeah, sometime soon, very quickly. Unfortunately... I almost feel like he, he tricked us a little. We were looking one way and he won an FA Cup. All of a sudden, a lot of pressure's been put on him because he almost overexceeded last season. They have fell off a cliff and they've fallen off a cliff very quickly this season. That's a team that lacks discipline. That's the seventh red card under Arteta this season. Zero leadership. We spoke earlier about Liverpool and the likes of Fabinho and Henderson. I look around at that Arsenal team and yes, Aubameyang's got the captain's armband, but I have no idea who the leader is in that team, that there is none. We know that he doesn't get on with the centre-back, David Luiz. They, they hardly talk him in Arteta. Jack has got his own issues. We saw that last season. We saw that the season before. And, and the funny thing is, with Arteta, he tried to come in and instill discipline. Guendouzi was, was doing things he didn't like on and off the pitch. He got rid of him. And I thought, OK, we're starting to see the, the wheel turned a little bit. Right now, though, it looks as though he completely has lost control of the players. I hoped... When I saw a Bamiang score, that will give him that extra 10% and we'll start to see him running around. He didn't. He didn't run around at all. It's like he scored and he was like, oh, thank God I've got my goal. What else did I do? And I expected a bit more from a bang. And again, this is the guy that signed a new, you know, flashy, fancy contract. He's the captain of the, of the club. He needs to do a lot more. Their best player seems to be a left back who's, what, 20 years old in, in, in Saka. I, I don't know what's going on at Arsenal. Everyone seems to be scared to make mistakes. They're a team... Look, everyone says they're too good to go down, and I, yeah, they are probably. But I remember a Leeds United team going down with the likes of James Milner, with the likes of Hart, with the likes of Paul Robinson and Lucas Radaby and, and Mark Viduka. I mean, they're better players than what Arsenal have got now. Arsenal have got to be a bit careful. They're in a weird position right now at the Emirates, and if I'm Arteta, I can't wait for that January transfer window to go. Not to sign players, but to get rid of a few. Yeah, to be fair to Arteta, I think those seven seventeen offs are over two seasons rather than oh, one. But no, but but you know the, the the point remains they are indisciplined, chronically indisciplined, and there's there's little spontaneity. Does that suggest to you, Richard, that there's a chronic lack of confidence there? You know, you look at Gabriel, for instance. Okay, he was sent off for two two yellows, but he was definitely at fault for the the World Cup goal. It's basically wearing these players down. That the situation, isn't it? Yeah, you can you can really see when when they uh, when they enter the the, the 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 field of play that it's almost as if every player has got the kind of weight of the world and on their shoulders. And I think that the, you know, as Adi touched upon the the kind of discipline aspects. I mean, it looked as though, as you say, he was rooting out certain players, you know, the likes of Guendouzi, for example. But then there's inconsistencies there because then, for example, when when Willian kind of I think he broke lockdown rules and, and went on holiday to to Dubai. He wasn't disciplined there, so that that kind of inconsistency 
does seep that kind of ill, you know, ill feeling within the squad. And they say that the, the poor results which are kind of coming as a result of that. Of course, the, the confidence is low, but you know, the, the, these are a lot of there's a lot of experienced players there, and it's time for them to step up. Again, we look at Obama Yang. Fair enough, he scored yesterday, but you know he's wearing the armband, and for him to come out yesterday and say that you know he's not really done much talking. You know, I feel like, okay, maybe he's someone who likes to lead by example, but as someone who's an experienced player, you know, he he, he is up to him to, to get the squad galvanised on the pitch. We can't always be looking at the manager for these things. You know, you, you need more from David Luiz, you know, not, not getting into training ground scraps, which, yes, okay, they can say that shows desire, but it, it, it seeps into this ill-discipline thing again. As you say, the only one who's really been a shining light this season, as Adi said, is, is Saka. And Otini's done well, but he's not playing at the same level that that we that we're used to him playing playing at. So it just begs the question, though. Know, we talk about young players coming through. Why can't the young players at Arsenal be given more opportunities there? You know, the likes of uh, Nketiah has done well when he's come in, the likes of Belogan, likes of Smithrow. You know, yes, they don't have the experience, but they've got the, you know, exuberance. They've, they've got the temperament that they've already shown to come in and do a good job. And, you know, maybe Arsenal just need that shot in the arm and, and have the young players, you know, can produce that. Yeah, manage, managers tend to, uh, to, to want guarantees of security before they... They have wholesale faith in youth, don't they? You know, Arteta this weekend, Addy, returns to Goodison. Everton are fifth above Chelsea, by the way. How far are they off from being consistent challengers? Probably too soon for top four? I don't know. At the start of the season, this is the game, this is the team that won their first five games, and we were all excited and waxing lyrical about the signings of Alan, De Cure, and James Rodriguez. and... Dominic Calvert-Lewin, some people were even saying, I, I dare say that he could take Harry Kane's place in the England squad. That's how much they were firing. What I think people have forgotten, though, is just how good and experienced a manager Carlo Angelotti is. This is a guy that has knows all the tricks in the books and he's tried different things out and he's not rest on his laurels. It hasn't worked out as a back three. OK, let's try a back five. Let's try a Wobi at right wing back. Let's try him over at left wing back. Let's, let's go with four centre-backs. That's what they went with the other day, by the way, four centre-backs against Leicester, he will try different things. Sigurdsson's been brought back in. So there's a manager there that's not afraid to to mix it up if it's not going right. My biggest problem for them is squad depth. And I think that's what's going to come back to bite them. I don't think they've got enough quality on the bench. I think we see that when Richarlison was out for a couple of games, they had a massive dip. And that's just one player being out. I mean, God forbid if they get three or four big injuries and what's going to happen or a couple of ill-disciplined players... So I, I think they'll be there or thereabouts just because of the manager and their starting eleven. But I think it comes to squad depth now because everyone's getting injuries, games are coming thick and fast. The only bonus Everton might have to sneak into the top four or maybe even a top six is they don't have that midweek Europe game. And I think we're seeing that with teams like Leicester struggling with injuries just because they're having to play Thursday, Saturday, sorry, Thursday, Sunday or Thursday, Monday. Everton have a free week now where they can literally play every single Saturday or every single Sunday. So they might have an advantage over other teams just because of that. Mm, I suppose one of the or the critical decision that Ancelotti's got to reach is with his goalkeeper, Rich, isn't he? Dropping Pickford, was that overdue? And would you keep Robin Olsen and give him a run? 
I, I would do. I mean, we all know about, you know, kind of Pickford's indiscretions over the past couple of years. And I think a lot of that is just down to him as well, not having much competition there, you know, both for club and country. I mean, if you touch on a country, you know, although there are great goalkeepers there, you know, Southgate coming out and saying that there's not much competition there for him, you know, that, that although, yes, that's probably a shot of confidence for Pickford, you know, I feel like he does need to be pushed and having a goalkeeper like Olsen will push him all the way. You know, I've been very impressed with the way that he he commands his area. He's got good distribution. And, and, and these are things which give a back four, back five confidence. And if he continues to do that, then... I'm not saying it'll be difficult for Pickford to come back in. Maybe that, you know, Ancelotti's got a plan to, to 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 play the both of them. But at least for Pickford to now be pushed and we see what he's made of, we see his character, we see what, what he's really got between the teeth. I think it'll be good for him, it'll be good for his game. Um, and we might even see Pickford progress as a result of that as well. You know, having a, a good goalkeeper there every day in training, week in, week out, He's only going to take his game forward as well. So I think it's a good situation that they've got there. Um, yeah, he needed to be dropped ages ago. I mean, he's made blunder after blunder after blunder. You asked me the question, Mike, in terms of how far away are they from a top four or even a top six position. He was keeping them away from it for me. I, I have zero confidence in what Pickford does between the sticks. And I think he's been a keeper that maybe thought he was undroppable just because they didn't have a, a top second backup goalkeeper like what maybe Man United have with Henderson and De Gea. So De Gea knows if he does mess up, Henderson's going to come in. There was a lot of talk about them getting United's third goalkeeper, Sergio Romero, in the summer. That would have been that competition. And OK, look, you know, if you do mess up, there is something there. But he's made so many mistakes. He doesn't really make them for England. So I can understand why Gareth Southgate sticks with him. He seems to step up for England, but for, for Everton. I mean, uh, we're not just talking this season. We, we can go back a few seasons with Pickford. I mean, the thing I keep hearing about Pickford is that he's got good delivery. I mean, as a goalkeeper, I don't want to hear that. Your job is to save the goals. You know, <laughs> That's all I want to hear. I don't want to hear if you've got a, a good left or right foot. Just just keep the ball out of the back of the net. And he's made mistakes. And I think this will give him a kick up the backside to say, OK, look, there is someone there now. The, the manager, Angelotti, he's not afraid to drop me. And let's see how he reacts to this. Uh, be interesting to see what he does. Yeah. Leicester, you know, lest we forget, would have gone second with a win over Everton. Um, are they just prone to stumble at a key point, do you think, Richard? I think so. I think, I think that's, that's, a, that's a fair assertion to make. I mean, yeah, you, you look at them last season, for example, where, as you say, they, they had top four in the bag and, and they, they fumbled it, really. So it's something that they probably, as a club, need need to work on in terms of holding their nerve. Again, you know, yesterday, another goal conceded from a set piece. That's seven this season. And and that's something that they need to address. I know, you know, Suyuncu is a big miss, but, you know, this is your kind of bread and butter and, and it does prove to be the difference in games. And, you know, a team like Everton who are at a similar level, you'd say, are the kind of games which which they do need to win. I I think they're in a good place, though. I mean, they, they've got good players there. We see Madison, you know, seems to be coming back to, to good form. So, of course, Vardy's doing well. Tielemans is, ha- is having a good season, as is James Justin. But, yeah, it's, it's something that they need to address in terms of holding their nerve. In, in, the, in the key moments, uh, if they're really going to progress as, as a club. But I think they're in a good place so far, to be fair. Yeah. Now, Eddie, we, we know you as a, a very measured man, you know, very calm, <laughs> apart from the fact, apart from when you see Liverpool scoring a 90th minute winner. Chelsea. Yes. Are we in danger of overreacting to those two successive defeats or is it permissible to panic? I think we can panic a touch. I don't think we should overreact. I always wanted to see Chelsea 
against a top team. Uh, see if they can beat a top team in this fantastic little run they've been on. I think it's what was 16 unbeaten before they went to Everton. It was like, okay, but who have they beat in, in that run? Uh, what have they done in that run? And that's not to take away from what was a fantastic run. They were scoring bags of goals and not conceding. And you, you've got to applaud Frank Lampard for that. But I think Everton was that acid test and they failed that one. And then it was like, okay, okay, let's see what you can do against Wolves. And this isn't the same Wolves last season. This is the Wolves that have lost their talisman and Raul Jimenez. Traore now has dropped to the bench. He, he's not kicked on Traore. So it was a case of what can you do there? They, they lost that one as well. They made a lot of signings in the summer. And I think it's going to take a lot of time for all these signings to bed in. He's trying to almost put them all in in the same pitch at the same time. And it's, it just doesn't work like that. And you're going to get inconsistent performances like we've seen from the likes of Timo Werner, Havertz, who's been really inconsistent. Pulisic has been injured. Uh, Ziyech, who really hasn't found form. We're, get, we're going to get inconsistency. I think even Chelsea fans will get maybe overexcited. And I think they've had to rein it back in now just because I think it's going to be a bit up and down for them. I don't want to dig out Frank Lampard too much. I think he's done well to integrate the players they've got in. He, he notes he's identified mistakes and he's been able to fix those mistakes. Chilwell coming on the left is a good signing. Thiago at the back has been a fantastic signing as well, but we are going to see inconsistent results. And I think this is just the start of it. I expect Chelsea to be a team that for every four games they play now, they'll probably draw one, lose one and win two. I think that's what I expect from them now. Yeah, whether that's enough to uh, please those upstairs is probably another matter. It is a jigsaw puzzle, isn't it, Richard? Where do you fit the pieces? Havertz, Pulisic, can he be trusted with his fitness? Timo Werner, no goals in nine. How would you, if you're if you, if you're coach, how would you fit that lot together? First of all, I guess we touch on, uh, on 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 Werner. I think you know his his best position is is through the middle. I think out wide where he has been played. Yes, of course he's got pace, but not too impressive his movement. His touch isn't great. His passing isn't great. And you know, for a side like Chelsea, who like to kind of you know, I mean, that sounds like you don't rate him at all, Richard. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's funny because the last time I had questions about him, he went and scored seven goals in seven games. So I don't want to be too harsh on him. But again, you know, when he's been played out on, on the left, he, he's, he's not been great. I mean, Havertz, I, I expected more from him, to be fair. I'm not saying that, of course, mitigating factors, he's had COVID. He's not the first person to have COVID, but he, he, he's, he needs time to adapt in terms of the kind of physical aspect of the game. Sometimes he takes too long on the ball and he's not showing that bravery, that, that kind of incisiveness which he showed at Leverkusen. So I think when everyone's fit, you know, I do like the look of Ziyech, you know, him out wide with Pulisic. I think, you know, there's a dangerous prospect with Werner up front as well. But I think that the issues there are, uh, I think, uh, you know, Adi mentioned Lampard and again, not to dig him out and it's not we're not defending him, but... Last season, the issues were with Chelsea conceding goals on the, on the transition. I think they conceded over, I think, I think it was eight or nine goals on the transition throughout the season. And he spoke a lot after the Wolves game about in-game management. Obviously, that that stops with the manager. But we saw that Chelsea were pressing, pressing forward, and they kept getting hit on a break. Now, of course, you look at the players to say, okay, we should be, you know, we should be bedding in, you know, likes of Kante and whatnot, but. Surely, you know, the managers should be there to say, look, you know, we see that we've run a ball on a break. Let's just sit in and, 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 and hit them on a break even. But ultimately, you know, it proved to be fatal and end up losing the game. So that's something that they have to look at. And, and you know, it's something that will continue to bite them if they don't address those issues. So, you know, it, as you say, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a balancing act with all the injuries and, and everything that's coming on. But, 
Yeah, it's, it will be interesting to see how how far he, he, he takes him, really. I think with, with him as well, very quickly, Mike, is that, uh, and you mentioned it, upstairs are not going to accept these excuses. I mean, they gave him over £200 million and that was to fix all these problems. We know what Chelsea are like. I know he's a Chelsea legend, but Chelsea have had more managers than any other team in the Premier League in the last sort of 10 years. They will get rid if he can't deliver. You don't give a manager 200 plus million and expect him to have these problems. You want a manager to come and deliver. And I think Chelsea need to win something this season. I know that's difficult because there are some fantastic teams, but again, you spend that kind of money. No one else has spent that money this season. They're not expecting Chelsea to kind of just falter and not make a push for the title. They need to close the gap on Liverpool. And if they start dropping points, I mean, they've got West Ham, Arsenal, Villa and City next. That, that's not an easy run. It'll be interesting to see what he does at the end of that and where Chelsea are. And if they give him more money, I can't believe I'm going to say this, more money to spend in January. We'll see. I feel I feel like he's he's done all right in terms of, obviously, the goalkeeper's coming in done well. Thiago Silva's slotted in very well, as has Chilwell. So... That aspect has been okay. But as you say, it's in the final third, which is going to decide games, as we said. And, you know, we're not going to be really looking for these excuses, for, especially further in the season where they've had long enough to adapt. So, you know, what it is though, Richard, to keep an eye. Th- those positions are, are, are easy. In terms of how to set up, it's th- those ones that have s- succeeded, it's easy. Chilwell is a left back, no problem. We know how he sets up. It's the ones where he's playing players out of position. Timo Werner, who played out of position. We saw what he done with Kante out of position. So I guess you've got to maybe look at him, Lampard now. Look, it's still early in his managerial career. Does he know how to set up a team properly? The ones that you know how, yeah, Thiago at the back, not a problem. But in terms of other players going forward, I, I think we'll soon find out whether he knows how to set up his team properly. He's got a lot of players there. A, can he keep them happy? And B, can he set them up in the positions they want to play in? We'll see. Yeah. On Sunday, you've got one of those great tribal rivalries being enacted or reenacted again. Leeds at Manchester United, a place you'd know well, Richard. Leeds at the moment are the great entertainers, aren't they? They're capable of doing anything, aren't they, there? Yeah, I think you're spot on there. I just love the way they play, the, the high energy, the, the passing, the movement. And, I mean, they completely rip Newcastle apart yesterday and it was just as from as a neutral looking on looking into it I mean it was just great to see you know the waves of players just just pushing forward even later on in the game and Newcastle just couldn't cope you know they did well to you know be level for the amount of time that they that they were level for but I just love the way that you know Leeds just keep going to the end whether they're losing whether they're chasing the game whether they're ahead is we know what we're going to get from them we know we're going to get high pressing high energy and it's just great football to watch yeah, I sort of start drawing the strings together a bit now. Two players. I'm going to pose the same question for both of them. Sebastian Haller at West Ham. <laughs> Christian Benteke at Crystal Palace. Addy, sublime or ridiculous? Oh, is there a third option in between? <laughs> <laughs> they don't. They don't hit that one too often, do they? They, they definitely don't. We obviously look. We saw a, a sublime goal from Sebastian Haller um, yesterday. Absolutely beautiful goal. But then he can go through one and one and miss an absolute sitter. So I'm going to create a third option for them, and that's kind of in the middle. I can see why both of them are such big threats. Both big guys, right? Big dominating strikers. Fantastic aerially but so inconsistent. I mean, Ben Teke, you almost forget 
the Benteke that was at Aston Villa and even for maybe the first couple of months at Liverpool. I mean, his drop-off has been unbelievable. But then he does things randomly in a game. You think, wait, he's still there. And Haller as well. I, I was one of those people that are saying, West Ham maybe not, might need to look at selling Haller. They're not, they're not going to get the same money they got for him. I mean, so they spent on him. And then he does that. So it's it's difficult. It, it must send David Moyes crazy knowing that there is a top, top striker in there. Just how do we get it out of him? Do we need to have more pieces around him? I, I don't know, but I'm, I'm going to go... For, uh, sorry, Mike, I know this is not part of the game, but I'm going to create a third <laughs> option in the middle and, and, and say they are sublimely inconsistent. Okay, I'm going to name a fence after you, mate. Don't worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> actually, on, on Benteke, Richard, I actually thought he was very unlucky to be sent off. What about you? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, you, I guess it's one of those ones where you, you've seen him given. I, I agree. I, I did think it was a bit unfortunate, to be fair, but... It's, it's that kind of lack of consistency which, which drives managers and, and fans like us crazy. So, yeah, it's a difficult one for him. But And it, it'll be a big miss, by the way, because he's, he's, he's been, as Adi said, you know, he's, he's been okay this season in terms of, you know, producing in games where, okay, maybe you're starting to score a bit now, but just, you know, hold up play, especially yeah. with the likes of Zaha and, and, and Eze behind him now. You know, the three of them seem to be linking up quite well. So he will be a big miss, especially in, in this congested period. Okay, drawing it all together now, Eddie, your chance to redeem yourself in, in my eyes, your thought for the day, what, what do you want to get off your chest? Um, you know what? I was thinking about, I was thinking, of, and this was based on the, the appointment of Sam Allardyce and it kind of made me start thinking about clubs that stick or twist, clubs that pretend they're brave and are trying something and, and are looking for progression. But then when the going gets tough, almost result, revert back to, okay, tried and trusted. Norwich are a great example of a team that under Farke play fantastic football, but ultimately got relegated. So yes, you're playing great football and it's nice and it's exciting, but you're now in a division below. I think they'll come back up again. So maybe that's a reason why they're stuck with him. But when does it get to a chairman's mind that, okay, the philosophy that we're trying to do just simply isn't working and we've now got to revert back to a Pulis, a, an Allardyce, a Pardew, who's now obviously abroad, but those type of managers. And this is, this is the problem that fans have as well. Arteta the other day in their result against Burnley said after the game, we played the much better football. And I was like, well, but you lost. And it's almost as though playing football now has come become more important than getting results. It's a results business. And I think Mourinho has built his career on being a results business manager that doesn't play fantastic football, but wins. We now seem so excited and so geared up about a team playing football. We forget, you've got to get three points on the table. And I, I do wonder if the ethos and the ideas of football have changed so much now that fans now get excited by by playing football and stats and these fantastic stats that are out there right now for all of us to see, rather than just get three points on the table. And I think as much as I'm against Slavon Bilic being sacked, the fact is he weren't getting points under the table. Yes, they're playing good football, but there are no points. Sam Allardyce isn't great football, but he'll get your points. Very true. Well, that actually... Probably remains to be seen, doesn't it? What about you, Richard? Slightly different topic, but I'd just like to speak about Jordan Henderson just briefly. Fire away, Richard. The floor is yours, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> I, feel, I feel like Henderson, especially in 2020, has embodied what a captain should be. 
we look at his on-pitch qualities, of course, and the way he marshals that Liverpool side. And we talk about the injuries that they've had. And, you know, he's been that real constant in, in maintaining the standard on the pitch. And we see that consistency over the last two and a half seasons. And, you know, he, he's been integral to that but also off the pitch as well. And I think this year especially, I, I feel like he's really stepped up. And when we, we talk about leadership and, you know, as you say, he's done that on the pitch, but off the pitch as well. I mean, firstly, I mean, of course, with the, with the Players Together initiative, which he started during the pandemic, galvanising the rest of the captains in the Premier League to raise money for the NHS. You know, he regularly comes out and speaks out about racism and discrimination. And I think his tweet and message last week in, in, in support of the Rainbow Laces campaign. I feel like we, we need these ambassadors in football to step up and, and, and be that voice. I know that I don't like saying that footballers are, are role models and, and they shouldn't be, but I feel like in Henderson, you've, in, and, you know, for Liverpool, he's, he's a terrific ambassador for the club and someone that should be held in such high esteem and high regard. And I feel like he's almost not gone under the radar because he has got his praise, but someone who we should be looking at as, as a beacon of leadership, both on and off the pitch and, and for wider society as well. And I, I feel like, you know, someone like him is, is a great example to, to all players, young players and, and experienced as well. Yeah, well said. I agree with every word you said there. I want to end with managers. Seems that's been a pretty consistent theme throughout this podcast. It also seems that Phil Neville, will manage Team GB in next summer's Olympic Games. An announcement is expected from the FA in January. He steps down as the manager of the England women's team in July. Now, under his management, that team has at best stood still. Serena Wiegmann, who replaces him in September, will be in charge of the Netherlands in Japan. The GB job would have been ideal for a younger coach with longer-term potential, although it's a hugely significant tournament. The problem, three outstanding coaches have left the FA in recent months. Club coaches, brilliant at their job. People like Emma Hayes and Casey Stoney can't spare the time, realistically. Neville has no future in the women's game, but he's the last man standing. He's got the job by default and that doesn't reflect well on anyone involved thanks in the meantime to Addy and Richard for their insight and to you for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTER Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.